0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and study and learn what you would have us to learn. And we just thank you for that. Guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 28, we'll be starting in verse 21. And remember that uh, we left off. uh, David has been asked by Achish to go to war with him, basically as his bodyguard. He says he's going to ride with me. Uh, Saul is getting, is getting ready to be attacked by the Philistines, so he went to the witch of Endor or the medium of Endor to, to call on uh, Samuel because God was not answering him. The prophets would not answer him. The priests could not answer him, so he went and called for uh, Samuel. Samuel showed up, said that God is against you, and you're going to die, <laughs> you and your kids. And we left last week with Sam falling on his face and on the floor and basically fainting because he hadn't eaten for 24 hours. And that's where we, let, we left off our story last. So verse 21, And the woman came unto Saul and saw that he was sore troubled and said unto him, Behold, your handmaiden has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hand. And have hearkened unto your words which you have spoken unto me. Now therefore I pray you hearken you also unto the voice of your handmaid. And let me set a morsel of bread before you to eat. That you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman compelled him. And he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. And the woman had a fat calf in the house. And she hastened and killed it and took flour and kneaded it. And she did bake unleavened bread thereof. And she brought it before Saul and before his servants. And they did eat. Then they rose up and went away that night. All right. We have Saul having gone to the medium. And remember, he'd kicked out. One of the things he did right was he expelled all the mediums from the land. Now, according to the... the, Pentateuch, he should have executed them, but he, he drove them out. But this person is still around. He gets this message, and he faints, and she goes to him and says, hey, I put my life in your hands, you know, in, 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 in my own hand. And he goes, let me make you some food because you're faint. Because uh, now she's heard. He, he's going to battle. You know, This wasn't a very wise move on Saul's part to not eat for 24 hours before he goes to battle. You know, let's, let's go to battle real strong, you know. <laughs> uh, but he remember he did that at the very beginning when he went to battle. He told the people, we're going to go into battle and nobody's to eat until the end of the, until we've had victory. And Jonathan ate the honey and he was going to kill Jonathan for disobeying him even though he hadn't heard, Jonathan hadn't heard him. And so Saul is not the wisest man when it goes to time to go to battle. Uh, he's, he's in going to battle in just a few hours, you know, the next day. And he hasn't eaten for 24 hours. And at this rate, he's going to go for 36 hours the way he's going. And he may be doing this, you know, in in his mindset, I'm I'm fasting. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to get an answer. Uh, But she says, you know, let me make some food for you. And Saul says no. And his servants say, you know, you really need to eat Saul. And I, I think this is quite an interesting thing. The meal that she has is a freshly killed cow and bread. All right, now those are the people of us who know how to cook a little bit realize that neither one of those is going to be a very quick, quick meal. The bread itself is going to take time. Uh, and then you've got to kill the cow, butcher the cow, and then cook it. And she's cooking for, you know, Saul and his two, two bodyguards that are with him, so that's a pretty substantial meal that she's preparing for the king. And... She's really putting some time into this, this meal. Um, and it says, they ate and they left that night. All right. And that's really not much I can say about this. You know, she's, she's now ministering to Saul. You know, she was now, remember, she was afraid that Saul was going to kill her because Saul has kicked out all the mediums. Then she finds out who he is. She's afraid for her life and he says no. And remember, we said he, he swore by God. <laughs> That he wouldn't kill her, which I always have found to be a very strange statement. You know, he's going to a medium who is not a follower of God, and he swears by God to make his promise. Uh, so, none of that makes any sense to me, but that was it, it satisfied her. And she makes this meal for him. And, you know, he wasn't going to eat. And again, this is not a wise move. He's getting ready to go into battle very shortly. And he's not planning to eat, um, which is going to make him lightheaded, dizzy, you know, and all the, and weak and all the other things that happen when you, when you fast. And fasting is a good thing to do, but not if you're going to go do a battle. You're going to go fight for your life is not a good time to be fasting. All right. Verse 29, uh, chapter 29. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek and the Israel lights pitched by the fountain which is in jezreel and the lords of the philistines passed on by the hundreds and by the thousands but david and his mes- men passed on in the real reward re- with achish then said the princes of the philistines what do these hebrews hear and achish said unto the princes of the philistines is not this david the servant of the saul of king of israel which hath been with me These days or these years. And I have found no fault in him. Since he fell unto me unto this day. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him. Make this fellow return. That he may go again to his place. Which you have appointed him. And let him not go down with us to battle. Lest in the battle he be an adversary to you. To us. For wherewith, uh, wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is not this David of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands? All right. Remember we talked almost two weeks ago now. David is going to be in the bodyguard part of Achish. David is in a quandary at this point. Remember we talked, David's in a quandary because he is going to have to go fight Israel. Now he has lived in Ziglag for over a year. He is telling them that he's raiding Israel when he's actually raiding the Amalekites to the south of the Philistines and getting on Achish's good side saying, you know, and Achish is going, oh good, he's making himself a real enemy of Israel. Now, David is set up to ride into battle with the Philistines against Israel. All right. David is really in a dilemma at this point, and here it seems to be his, his out. God delivers him, God gives grace to, to David. All right. It says the Philistines were gathering, and the Israelites were gathering in verse 1. And the lords of the Israel passed by, uh, the, the lords of the Philistines passed by with their thousands, their hundreds, and their thousands. And David and his men passed to the re reward with Achish. So, in other words, he's going to the back. All right. David is probably consolidating himself. At least I'm not on the front line. Okay. I'm going to be participating in this battle against Israel, but all I am is in the back guarding the king. Because in those days, usually most kings stayed behind the army. They did not lead into battle. And Achish, obviously, from the way that this is being lined up, is one of those kings. He is going to stay in the back part of the army. And in one sense, it makes sense. Generals, even to this day, tend to stand in the back of the army and direct, direct things from where they can see things. Every once in a while, you get some general who says, i got to be in the front. I've got to be up there with the men. Uh, Achish is not one of those <laughs> leaders, okay? David is kind of probably consoling himself. Well, I'm going to battle against Israel, but I'm in the rear guard. I'm not, I'm not going to be fighting, all right? Because you've got to understand, he has not lifted a hand against Saul ever, okay? He has not fought against Saul's men, He's honored their lives. He's honored everything about them, and he hasn't gone out to battle with them. And here, all of a sudden, he's in a position where he's going to go to war against Israel, and he's the anointed king of Israel. You know, uh, this is a you know to me this is kind of a com- comical thing on one side, all right. And uh, so David is all set to have this, and then. The princes go, what are these Hebrews doing here? Okay, now we've talked about this before. The Hebrew people were hated by just about everybody in that region, and that's not just the Jews. That's remember, we've talked about this. The Hebrews come from Ebor, all right? All Jews are Hebrews, but not all Hebrews are Jews. Okay, so they're going, what are these Hebrews, the followers of the one God, doing here in our battle? Okay, so this is a multiple attack on them. It's like, these guys, you know, they're not, they're not us. They're, they're not following our gods. They're not, and we don't understand that kind of mentality. You know, if you can think about what it was like in the early church, in the Roman Empire, in the Roman, Roman Empire, and Christians, well, we follow the one, the one God. Well, which, one, which God are you talking about? No, we're following the one and only God. You know, and they're thinking, well, we have a whole bunch of them. You know, are you following uh, Zeus or, or uh, Athena? Or are you following the God of War? Are you following this guy or that guy? No, we are following the God yeah, you know, we don't really understand that in our day and age because we are only now starting to slip back into this whole idea of polytheism in our in our culture. It's going to get worse again, where those of us who believe that there is only one God are going to be looked at kind of funny. We already see it with much of the nature worship, where you hear things, we don't really recognize it so much when they say, well, all, a god is in everything what they're saying is god is everything okay the rocks the trees the mountains the wind the the rain the animals they're saying god is in everything they are saying that there are a multitude of gods out there so they're not saying he created it no they're not saying he created it they're saying that god they, it is god which is a polytheistic view when they get pantheism pantheism Many gods. Like and or many boyfriends. So we see that this is happening in our world now. We haven't come to the place where they're really calling them gods yet, but they're right there at that doorstep. And it won't be long until we're back to all the gods all there the way it used to be. Okay, And I keep telling people you know, all the time, we're, we, they tell us that we're in a post-Christian world. Well, yes and no, we are in a post-Christian world, but we're also in a pre-Christian world because all we're doing is returning to the mess that we were in before Christianity held sway for over most of, the, most of the world. So we are returning back. And here they are, they're making that, what are these Hebrews, the followers of the one God? They're not even, they're not even part of us. They, you know, they don't even accept our gods at all. Because in their mind, they could accept the Hebrew God as long as they could also, as long as the Hebrews would be able to accept Dagon and all their gods. And our problem with us as Christians are, we follow the one God and we cannot say that anything that is not his way is okay. All right, Christianity has gone from the most tolerant people because we allowed people to believe what they wanted to believe even though they were wrong To the new definition of tolerance, we are now the most intolerant people because we will not accept their way as equal to our way. And we have this problem going on, and this is what these people are going. You know, you you got these Hebrews. They don't accept our gods. They think they're special. What are they doing in our battle? (laughs) Okay. Uh, You know, and they're going... In there, you know, is, is this not David, the servant of, you know, uh, uh, and they're going, and Achish is going, well, isn't this David, the servant of, of King Saul, you know, don't you know how good he is in battle, and he's been, he's been attacking Israel, he's hated by Israel now, at least so he thinks, <laughs> And he goes, you know, I haven't had, I have not found any problem with him. He hasn't, he hasn't said anything against me. He hasn't done anything against me. I've seen no fault in David. Now David has plenty of fault with the Amalekites to the south. Uh, If he left any of them alive, word might have gotten back to Achish at some point. Uh, But as far as Achish is concerned, David's been a great servant. He has been obeying the rules that he that he knows of. And this is the way we are supposed to be as Christians. We're to obey the government. As long as the government does not tell us to do something that is against God or against God's word, we're to obey our government. When they do tell us to do something that's against God's word, well, then we have the opportunity to disobey and be punished by the government for disobeying because the government has the right to disobey us. And we saw that over and over with the disciples. The disciples were told, you can't speak in Jesus' name. They go, well, sorry, Jesus told us to speak in your name, in his name. Then they would beat him and, and, and punish them. And, and their answer was always, thank God we've been, been found worthy to suffer. Go, they're, they're, they never once said, well, you don't have the right to punish us because the government had a right to punish them. They had violated the government's rules. So here Achish is saying, David's been a great citizen of mine. You know, he's obeyed all my laws. He hasn't he hasn't caused me trouble down there in Ziglag. He's been a great servant. He's willing to come to battle with us. You know, okay, princes, what is your problem? <laughs> and uh, yeah, kind of, the princes seem to have a better read of the situation than Achish does. He uh, goes, the princes said in verse 4, uh Make this fellow return that he may go to his own play which you have appointed him, and let him not go down with us into battle, lest in the battle he should switch sides, (laughs) basically, okay? Uh, You know, you're gonna take him to fight his people. Turncoat. Well, turncoat, actually, returned back to his people, but, you know, uh, king, we really don't think, send him back to Ziglag, (laughs) because you get him into battle, when push comes to shove, he's gonna switch sides, and fight for Israel. And you've got him, really they're looking at him, and, and King, you're, you're crazy. You've got him in the most important position. You've got him being your protector. All right. If he wants to turn in the middle of battle to get on Saul's good side, there's nothing between you and death, King, <laughs> because David will be right there with you. Uh, so they understand a little bit about this, and... Then they go and isn't this David who they sang one to another? Saul is minus thousand and David is ten thousand. What a popular song this must have been. Okay, it's not just Israel who knows it. It's just not Saul who knows it. It's the Philistines know it. You know it played on the top ten radio stations all the time. You know. <laughs> uh, they're kinda of making fun, but you know, that can happen though, you know, they go to the bars and the songs would pick up and go around and if they were popular they you know this is a popular song, obviously. Yeah, did they have traveling minstrels back? Yeah, well, they probably have traveling minstrels too, but you know but it was just one of those things, it was a song that it was well known. You know, and because it keeps being brought up over and over. And even Saul's and David's enemies know this song. You know, know they may not know the song, but they know that it was sung and they and they know that uh, David has been raised up. And so they're saying, you know, king, you know, you've got to kind of keep your mind out of this. You know, David is more famous in Israel than Saul, and you're making David be your bodyguard. They were speaking some quite, quite a bit of wisdom there. They really were. It's also going to give David his way out, all right, his way out of not having to go to battle with Israel. All right. Now we look at verse six and find it very strange. It here, then Achish called David and said unto him, "Surely, the, as the Lord lives, you shall you have been upright in your in your goings out and your coming in with me, and the host is good in my sight, for I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming unto me, than to this day. Nevertheless, the lords favor you not. Wherefore now return, go in peace, that you displease not the lords of the Philistines." All right, so Achish is sending David away. Okay, he goes, okay, my, you know, I have no problem with you, but, you know, the rest of my generals, they have a little bit of a problem with you, David, so, you know, just go, you know, take it. I find David's answer total insanity. David should be drawing his breath saying, okay, I don't have to go to battle against Israel. But in verse 8, and David said unto Achish, but what have I done and what have I done and what have you found in, in your servants so long as I have been with you unto this day that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king. If I was in David's place I would be saying thank you Jesus you took me away from this stupidity I got myself into. And David is arguing with him. You know, I should be able to go to battle with you. What is the problem? <laughs> you know, I don't understand David's response. Now, is he playing some game knowing that Achish is definitely going to send him, send him away no matter what? If he, even if he thought that, this is a dangerous game because he might just convince Achish against his other general's advice to let him go to battle. You know, but, you know, David is playing a dangerous game. He's been living in the sin that he's been living in. He's been living in the world. He's been caught up in the world, but it also shows you how deeply in the world he's gotten himself caught up in. He's now ready to ready to go to battle against Israel because of how far he's gone into the world. This is the problem that we as Christians face. If we go into the world and we start living the way the world does, we can get so far into it that we start actively going against God's plan and his institutions. David is there. David should be saying, oh, thank you, God, you've delivered me. I don't, I don't have to go into battle. You know, King Achish called me, and he was going to make me go to battle, and now I get, to go, I get to go home. I don't even, I'm not being put on the front line. I'm not being put on the reserves. I'm being told, go home, thank you. And instead, he's arguing with him. Why? What? What? what have I done wrong? Uh, and this this answer just is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> you know, he's being delivered, but it also shows how far away from God he has gotten. Okay, he did. Co- you know, he's been trying to not attack Israel, not get on Akish's bad side, but at this point, it just really shows how far and this goes to show us if we go into a backslidden condition, how far we can get. Well we can attack other Christians, we can attack other other people because we're just so far gone that we don't even recognize what we're doing. David's there. David is far, far gone. And he's begging to go to war against Israel, which he wouldn't do in the first place. Okay. He didn't have to go to Philistia to go fight with Achish to fight King Saul. He could have killed Saul on two occasions that were recorded. He's the better general than Saul. He could have taken his 600 men and defeated Saul's 3,000 at any moment. And he never would. He would never touch Saul. And now he's in Philistia, having lived in the world for, for over a year, begging to go to war against Saul. You know, this, this is just a, when you really think about the craziness of this situation you know, okay, here you go, David you wouldn't fight Saul in Israel because he was your king and you were on God's side and you were listening to God and now that you've been in the world for a year you're ready to go fight against Saul and you're begging, <laughs> you're begging, what, what did I do wrong, why, why are you kicking me out of this battle And it's as crazy and strange as it is, it's what I have seen, though, in Christian, in Christian circles. Somebody very on fire for God, following God, backslides. And a year or two years later, they're actively going against God in the church. And you're going, wow, how far have they fallen? Most people will say, well, they, they're not saved. Well, I'm not going to go that far. You know, when I look at a life that seems to be obviously saved and they backslide and get, get deep into sin, I'm not going to automatically say that they aren't saved or never were. That is an option. They may, may have just been playing a game. David was not just playing a game, and we know that because God calls him a man after his own heart. So we know David was following God and loved God. But it really shows us what can happen when we play around with sin when we just play around the edges of sin and then we backslide and we immerse ourselves in sin. And we get so stuck in it that all of a sudden we're ready to fight God. Fight the one who has told us we've got a promise. And David is a great example of a man that we see that God's promises are without repentance. David said, God said, David you're going to be king for a year David's been living in the world not worshiping God, not praying, not drinking not anything. There's nothing in here that shows us that he was praying even. He is out there just living in the world, going to battles, stealing the stuff, of the, calling it spoil, and coming back with the world stuff. Getting rich. It's like he, he could be living here now. <laughs> Easily. On how he's doing the things. Yeah. You know, this is the thing about it. Everything that happens on here could easily, you know, you know we would look at him as a terror, you know, a terrorist or a or really bad gang member, you know, depending on how you want to, how far you want to stretch it. Uh, he's living a life unto himself. Going out, killing people just for the sake of killing them. Because if we notice, every time he we went out, it didn't say he was killing them because God told him to. He was just riding out to get rich. And to keep himself out of trouble, he killed every man, woman, and child in those villages so that there would be nobody to report that David had attacked them. All right? Uh, So I do not think that he's been living a very godly lifestyle. Remember, the group of men that he has gathered around him are 600 people that are running from their debts and running from, their, from, their, from their, their lifestyle and went to David. Probably because the government had price on their heads saying, we find them, they go to jail, they get, they get their heads cut off, their hands cut off, whatever, and they go to David. And it's a great picture though. Even though David is their leader and he's able to keep them somewhat under control, they've got an influence on him. And this is why it is important for us to be careful who we spend our time with because we will become like those that we hang around with and usually it's the worst elements that we become like. Very rarely does the good person pull up the bad person. It does happen, but it is rare. That's the, the couple to get together and say, well, you know, I'll, I'm the Christian. I'll be, able to, I'll be able to get them to become a Christian. And then a year or two, you're no longer going to church. You're no longer reading your Bible. You're no longer praying. And yeah, one of you got converted, all right. <laughs> the wrong way. And David is getting converted the wrong way. He is with a bunch of men that are cutthroats and thieves and robbers and, you know, make a great, make a great army, <laughs> you know, as long as you're not trying to do things the right way. And David is being influenced. Now, his righteousness is still holding them. They're not, they're, you know, they're not a band of absolute cutthroats. We saw that with Nabal and, you know, they took care of him and protected him. Uh, but we saw David's attitude even with Nabal. I protected him for this this for the whole she, uh, shearing season and the, and kept his flock and he is he's not giving me any of this you know. And Nabal had no reason to give David anything. He never hired David to do all this stuff. Now it would have been a right thing to do. It would have been an honorable thing to do. But he owed David nothing by the law or anything. He didn't owe David. David, you know. He didn't go out and say, okay, David, I'm going to hire you to protect my flocks and my sheep. He never said that. So Nabal, in one sense, was in his, in his legal right to say, no, I'm not giving you anything, David. You know, I don't know who you are. I don't, you know, I never hired you. Nabal's wife went up and said, you know, <laughs> let me help you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give him something to, to keep you from dying and keep us from dying. She understood David's anger. Again, David really didn't have a right to be angry. We talked about that way back then. David's lived this lifestyle now another year. He's a year out from, you know, or more from that event. And he has gone downhill even further. He's now ready to go fight Israel. Begging to fight Israel. David has fallen a long way. And this is a fall that most people that I've talked to, you know, listened to over the years never really talk about this fall. They talk about the fall with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah and those incidents. But this was a fall even before David got anointed that, that he's facing. He's ready to fight Saul or go to war with Saul. Now, he's he's taken... He's taken his solace in, well, I'm not on the front line. I'm, I'm, I'm only here in case Israel breaks through. And you know what? Under Saul, Israel's not going to break through and, and get to get to King Achish, Achish. is in the back of his mind. Okay, the back of his mind is, I'm never going to have to do anything. I'm just the bodyguard for the king. And Saul has been rejected by God. There's no way that he's going to make it through. There's, you know, no way he's going to be able to win win through the lines and. Challenge Achish, so I will not have to fight my people. Okay, it doesn't say this. He's justifying his actions, and this is what happens when we are in a backslidden state. We justify our actions. Well, you know, I really didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or I'm not doing quite as much as I used to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking again, but I'm I'm only drinking a quarter of what I used to be. I'm only a quarter drunk instead of you know, completely gone. <laughs> David's justifying where he's at. You know, and we do this all the time in our, in our own walk when we're walking away from God. You know, we don't know fully what he's thinking, but he is justifying. In his mind, he's got to be justifying this because he hasn't been willing to go to battle against Saul. All right? So what he's justifying, how he's justifying it, I don't fully understand. I think he's just so far from God that he's no longer thinking straight. And this is the problem. When we become Christians, we become a new creation. We have a new way of thinking. And when we sink back into the world, we actually are in a place where we're almost crazy. Our thinking doesn't match our lifestyle. And, you know, our flesh is happy. But the spirit is warring against our flesh saying, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. You're not going to be happy doing this. And if you've ever backslidden to a point where you're doing things that you know you're not supposed to do, you've got this great battle in you. You think you should be happy. You're doing things that used to make you somewhat happy. At least you're not completely miserable. And the spirit is saying, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? Uh, how, come, how come you're with these people, you know, and you're all of a sudden going insane in your, in your own thinking because there's nothing going right. This is where David's at. Now, I'm not saying he's gone insane, but in his mind, he's battling where he's supposed to be and where he is. And he's really just arguing with the king. I should be able to go with you. You know, what have I done? Why don't, king, why don't you trust me? You know, you're in charge here, king. You know, you just tell your guys to, to back off because you, you trust me. David is arguing hard for something he shouldn't be arguing for. He should be looking at this and saying, oh, thank you, God. You, you, you've saved me from having to go to battle against Israel. And I think part of him was probably there. Okay? Part of him was probably, oh, good, I don't have to go. And then he hears himself arguing to go to battle. Well, you know, he might have thought too that if he went too easy, then Akish might have thought something was funny. It could be he could be playing some kind of yeah. very dangerous game. And you're right; he may have been if he was too eager to get out of there. Akish may have been maybe my maybe my lords were right. You know, but he's playing a dangerous game because he might change Akish's mind. Uh, but we've seen David play this game over and over again. Yeah. David is really good at lying and manipulating people, lying to people and manipulating them. Uh, you know, in some ways, I wonder if Saul might have seen things in David that he was a little more worried about and maybe justifiably worried about. You know, and when you look at David's life and how easy he lies. He lies about to the, to the priest and ends up getting the priest killed. He lies to, to all these different people. He lies, you know, he gets... Michael to lie lie that he threatened her you know uh, he, he's lying all the time and it shows us quite a chink in his character so it's an amazing thing when God says he's a man after his heart really shows the grace of God to be able to say David, I love David you know he he repented of his sins yeah, it gives us lots of hope. It gives us great hope. You know, because most people focus on on his the good. adultery and his and his murder of Uriah and say, Well, God loved him, you know, God forgave him and loved him and, and called him a man after heart. I look at the whole part of his life and saying, God, what grace you showed to David. Yeah, because you know, like you say, usually that's the only Yeah. He yeah. was just a shining star other than And we see That's that he really wasn't bad. that shiny of a star. No, he was pretty tarnished. You know, yeah. He has a very, yeah. very tarnished life, yeah. and yet God forgave him and gave him grace. Now, he had a lot of redeeming. You know, We're going to yeah. see you know, we see. A, a lot of his redeeming characters, especially when he was king and, and the Psalms that he wrote and, and the love he showed for God. There's a lot to say for David that this book is not showing. Yeah. He can do good, but then he can do bad. Just like all of us. Like, yeah, like, as I said, he can now. Yeah. David is just like anybody walking with God. Yeah. He can be very good at times. And he can, and he could be very bad at times. You know, usually he's just somewhat bad. Yeah. You know, he has he has a little problem with telling the truth, a yeah. uh, little bit of trouble with, uh, you know, little bit of trouble with uh, dealing with women. He he gathers just a few of them. Uh, I think it was eight of them. by the time he gets done, such yeah. uh, so a bad example for Solomon, and Solomon takes it even greater. Uh, you know, so he's got, he's got his weaknesses, but he does love God. And that's what we see in the book of Psalms. Yeah. We see his great love for, for God. Uh, the book of First Samuel doesn't show a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of positive light on David. But David could also be justifying all of this just as we would be. Well, you know, Saul's been chasing me all this time. You know, I'm having to live by my wits. I'm having to do this. And this is the problem we have if we're not careful to live by God's word. Well, you know God, uh, there's good reason to do what I'm doing. Um, Listen to a person preaching just the other day and he was telling people, he goes, is it okay, You know, should you ever worry? Anybody in the room said, no, you shouldn't worry. He goes, well, I can tell you one time when you should. And he, and he went on to give, him, give his reason. So I went up afterwards to talk to him. I'm going, can you give me a biblical reference for when it's good to, when, when it's good to, good to worry? He goes, well, it's not, I, go, I didn't say that it, unna- it wasn't natural. There's lots of things that are natural to us that God says don't do. What is your biblical reason for making the statement you just made? We as Christians do this often. Well god you know I've got all these reasons to do what I you know and it's just natural for me to do whatever this is the the line that the homosexuals will use well it's I just I have these great needs to for for same sex relations well whoopee you know we have the natural inclination to lie we have a natural inclination for lust we have a natural inclination for fornication and adultery. That does not mean it's okay. So does it mean it's, it's good not to worry? Or God tells us to cast all our cares upon him and to not worry. From my studies, I would say that any worry is presuming upon God's uh, sovereignty and plan for you. I saw saying that, it's that anxiety is picturing your future without God in it that's a good that's exactly what it is you know God you're not in control so I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with my future because somehow you're going to let something slip and if I don't worry about it I'm not going to have plans for it the same thing with fear fear is just a form of worry if we truly understand that God has a plan for us we truly understand that he is sovereign why should we worry about anything Now we're going to. Our our flesh just wants to worry. But it really does show to the degree that we don't worry, will show how much do I really trust in God and His sovereignty. The closer we get to Him in those areas, the less we will worry, the less we will fear. Because the more we're trusting God, because we go, God, you've been perfect. You are sovereign. You are right. I don't have to worry it all comes down to do I trust him David is living in way often in the wrong direction with God and yet God's grace allows him and as you said this is a great picture for us if God can forgive David of this kind of lifestyle and say he's a man after my own heart what does his grace mean for us do I fully trust God or not And the more I trust God, the less I have to worry about because, okay, God, it's in your hands. And the worst thing that can happen to me is that I'm going to live under the all things work together for good, and God's got a plan for me. I may not understand his plan. I may not like his plan at the time, but he has a plan. My job is to just fall into that plan. David has not trusted God's plan. You know, right now, he's not even living in God's country. He ran to the world. For all practical purposes, he's run to Egypt. You know, Egypt's always, you know, frequently used as as the world. He's run to Philistia. Same thing. The world. Not worshiping the same God. They worship other gods. There's no temple for him to worship in, and he's been there for a year, which means he hasn't been to any of the temple worships. He hasn't been able to make the sacrifices to God that he's supposed to make. He's lived in the world for a year. And now he's arguing with the king, I should be able to go to battle with you and fight fight against my people. Fight against my people that God anointed me to be king over. Yeah, that's not going to turn out too well when you become king. The logic of this is just... <laughs> mind blowing but it shows how far david is fallen at this point of his life and and i'm not i'm not going to be too hard on david because i've seen it happen too often amongst christians and myself we get away from god and we start doing some really dumb things you know can be maybe not as bad as david is at this point but we do some dumb things we'll will attack other christians we'll attack churches we'll attack friends of ours that are Christians, you know, just because we're just so far gone and away from God that just thinking about them irritates us because they're still following them. They're still doing what they're supposed to. They're doing what I know that I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm so far gone that I don't want to do it, and just seeing them do it irritates me. (laughs) This is the problem when God steps into life. This is one of the reasons sometimes you can walk into a group and you don't have to say anything about God at all, but because God lives in you and you just brought God into their situation, they get irritated. They get irritated because you brought God in. You, know, you haven't said a word, but God is there. And they feel it. They, and they don't even really know what it is they feel. They're just irritated and upset and, and, and you're the one that came in when that, when that feeling started, so you must be the problem. You are, you just don't know it because you're not even understanding what you've done. All you did was walk in. You know, and this is where we are. David, looking and going, you know, I don't understand this. I don't know why these people are, are against me. And verse 9, And Achish answered and said unto David, I know that you are good in my sight, as an angel of God, (laughs) notwithstanding the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up into battle. Achish is totally blind as well about what David's doing. You know, David, you've been perfect down there in Ziglag. You know, I, I know you've been telling me you've been you've been raiding so, southern Israel. You know, I know that you're that they hate you and that you'd be, be a great bodyguard. You know, you are so good. You're an angel. You know, boy, David David and he are both fooled. <laughs> and you know, but he says, but my leaders aren't going don't want you to go with me. And this king is smart enough to know that, you know, if he doesn't have his leaders on his side going into battle, he's in trouble anyway. All right. There's all kinds of stories out there in the in the fairy tales and everything where where the leaders just kind of open up the gates for the for the king to get killed. <laughs> you know, they just open up the, the the army just a little bit and let the king take the brunt of the attack and then they close up on him. Okay? This king is kind of smart enough to know that if his, if his other lords aren't on his side, he's going to have a problem. So he's willing to say, "David, you know they're not—they're they, not liking you. I really trust you, but I'm going to take—you know—I I got to keep them on my side. You and I against Israel isn't going to work." They're in verse ten. Therefore, now rise up early in the morning with your with your master servants that are come with you, and as soon as you be up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So he goes, when it gets, you know, spend the night here in the morning when we're getting ready to go to battle and you get to the, the light of the day, go home. And it says David went. This is the problem that we face in, in, even in our world today. So how would you know? Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes you just have to know what they mean, which is one of the things we have to do is, what do you mean when you say, when, when you say Jesus, what do you mean? When you say he's the son of God, what do you mean? Yeah. What God? You know, which oh, yeah. God? What do you mean by son? But they don't, mean, they don't mean the same thing we mean. When we say Jesus is the son of God, they don't, they don't mean the same thing. One of the newest things we have to do in our world is when somebody uses a religious word, well, you know I'm a believer in God. What do you mean by that? what God? Because who knows what they're thinking of uh they might be thinking well i'm a I'm a believer in God. look all around you here here's God. look at the trees and the shrubs and the birds and the and the beautiful day, this is all God. No. <laughs> if that's what you're talking about, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about God. We're talking about the creator of the universe, the one and only God who's all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, all pre- everywhere present, uh, who gave his life on the cross to, for, for our sins so that we could be redeemed. This is the problem that we face today. If we're not careful, people sound like they're saying the right things. We love people into the kingdom, even though we've got a hard message. The message is hard. If you don't accept Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. But that has to be said with love and care and great urgency, but great love. And you know, there's ways you, you know, we all know there's, you know, when you talk to certain people, you know that they love you enough and they're, even when they're telling you something hard or they're just telling you something hard and being, being real jerks about it and you know, we've all seen that we've all met people like that and you just and you know the difference and they both could tell you exactly the same thing they might even use the same words but just the attitude of love behind them go i don't want you to go to hell you know this is where you're going and the other one's like, i just can't wait for you to get get what you deserve oh yeah well, by the way you you could accept jesus and go and, and miss it but you know just yes. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to the day that you, that you burn. <laughs> and the other one, I don't want you to burn. Please come to Jesus. Okay. Uh, we want to be careful. David is going the wrong direction. And God intervenes. Yeah. Now, obviously the Philistine lords do not realize that God is inter- using them to intervene for, <laughs> for David. But God intervenes, and God will use the world to get His way. Oh, so often He uses the world to get His way. And God has no problem using others to get what He wants done. It's so wonderful when you look back and you go, Wow, God, you used that person? You know, Think about it in your own life. God, you used that person to get my attention? That person wasn't even a Christian, as far as I know. You know they lived in the pit of hell. And you use them to get my attention? God can use anybody. And Balaam was a great example when God used a donkey to talk. We want to be very careful as we look at these things and say, God, what is it you want? And be able to start looking and saying, thank you. But it also means that we have to stay aware. And in our day and age, we're getting back into this kind of circle where people use the same language. That's what's hard. And we need to be able to say, a lot of times, what do you mean? Ken Ham was commenting one time when he was preaching in, in Japan that he goes, now I want you, and his interpreter said, I want you to understand, when you say the word God, he goes, I've got to go and describe that what you mean by God is the creator of all things that, that set the world into motion and, and is the one and only God of the, of the, uh, the, out there. Because they have a whole pantheon of gods so that when you say gods, each individual is thinking of a different god. And in our world today in America, when you say the word God, you don't know what the people are thinking anymore. You know, they're thinking nature. They're thinking uh, Buddha or Christ or Allah. Who knows what they're thinking when you use the word God? And when they use the word God, you've got to make sure what exactly. Now, in our group of Christians, you, you, know, you very much know that they're speaking about God. But I'm talking when you're out in the world and somebody starts talking to you about God, Okay, tell me about who is God? What is God? And find out what they're talking about. You know, when they start talking, throwing Jesus' name around, well, who? what do you mean when you say Jesus? Because if you're talking to a, to a Muslim, they'll talk to you all day about Jesus. But Jesus is just a great teacher and great prophet in their mind. But, you know, we need to be able to start defending what we believe and and trying to pin people down on what they believe. And most people don't like to be pinned down. They like to talk about this nebulous God. Well, who is God? Well, you know. Well, yeah, I know who God is because I talk to him every day, but who are you talking about? Well, yeah, I talk to God. What God are you talking? You know, who, you know, how are you talking? What, who is this God you're talking about? You know, we, we need to be able to pin people down a little bit and say, go to the next step. There are millions of people in America who say they're Christians who do not believe in Jesus Christ do not believe in the Bible and will still call themselves Christians my question back to them is why would you call yourself a Christian if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't believe in his word Did what are you believing in well this is going into because right now we're they're using the term people of faith faith in what what do you have faith in? You know, tell me about, you know, you're, you're a person of faith. What, what do you have faith in? Because we all have faith. Every human being alive has faith. It's how we use our faith that is important. We all sat down in these chairs. We had faith that these chairs were going to hold us up. And I've told you all that when I walk into a catered dinner and they have the Catered white chairs that are sitting there that have legs that are about a quarter inch thick You know, I've lost enough weight. I might think about sitting in one of them I've had enough of those fall under me, you know fall collapse from underneath me that I don't have faith that those chairs are going to hold up We all have faith It is what do we put our faith in? You know ultimately my faith is in God and everything he says And I put all of it there. And what amazes me is how many people want to put faith in God for their eternity but not faith in God on their day-to-day life. Well, you know, God, I think you're gonna take me to heaven because of Jesus, but you know, I can't trust you to take care of tomorrow. I can't trust you to take care of my needs. I wonder about that kind of faith. Do you really have faith that God's gonna take you to heaven if you can't even trust him to take care of today? I can trust you in the future, but I can't trust you today. I have problems with that kind of faith. You know, but a lot of Christians have that kind of faith. A lot of people who call themselves Christians have that kind of faith. God, I really believe you're going to take me to heaven, but you know, uh, I've got to take care of everything down here myself. You'll take care of me in heaven for eternity, but you can't take care of me on yeah, earth. Yeah. I've got to take care of myself here. And I've met so many people that they, they're not going to be that blunt and say it. But you look at him and going, have you prayed about it? Oh no, I gotta take care of this myself. Are you giving your, t- oh no, I can't, give, I can't give God my money, I need it. We wanna be very careful where we are with that because it's so easy to fall into David's downward struggle if we're not very careful, if we're not in God's word, we're not hanging out with God's people, we're not coming to church and being taught, we're not listening to teaching. All of these things come down to where am I at? And will I continue to follow God? Are we truly following God? And we can if we're not in his Bible, we're not going to be able to say we're, we're following him. And even if the only place that most Christians get their information, even if they come to church four or five times a week and the only place they ever get taught is in that church by that pastor, they're still not following God necessarily. They're following somebody else's version of God whether it's good or not when I give a message it's me pre-digesting the food and giving it out to people and it's what I think is important on it which is not necessarily bad but it's also may not be the things that you find important if you were to read the same thing and I'm not saying going to a teacher is bad but I'm just saying don't let that be the only way you're fed I listen to all these different pastors why because I want different input into my mind not that I agree with everything they say there's some I turn off because I totally disagree with them. and don't like them. I get input from them because it challenges what I believe. The reason I developed what I have developed over the years is because I started out in a Southern Baptist church, went to a non-denominational church, and then went to a Pentecostal church. And the crazy thing, they would all use the same verses and come up with totally different con- conclusions from the verses. So I had to go to God and go, God, what's Right? And I really believe that we all need to do that. Look and say, God, is that interpretation correct? What do you say? And be willing to listen you know, to God and follow what he says. And this is why I tell you all, I've got very strong opinions on what I believe. And I'm gonna tell you what I believe because I'm the pastor of this church. I get, to, I get that privilege finally. But by the same token, I'm never going to tell any of you. You've got to believe what I believe, except in a handful of areas, and I've told you those. The Bible is the absolute truth of God, and it's every word of it is true. Jesus is the one and only Son of God. He is God. He died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead, and he's the only way to heaven. Outside of those things, I'm not going to argue with anybody who wants to say, well, you know, I believe Pastor So and So's version of this. Well, yeah, okay, I disagree with you, but. You know, you will stand and fall before God. I, I will teach you what I believe, and I will have to answer for what I teach before in front of God. And this is the important thing. We stand before God. But you're right. I mean, just because you disagree on a certain point that is not that big a deal, you can disagree with people. And, I, and this is why when I give you something that, that I believe, especially if it's out of the mainstream, I'm going to tell you, if you don't agree with me, you're in good company. There's certain things I believe very strongly that if you don't agree with me, then you're in good company. You've got a lot of people on your side. And I have no problem with that because I understand that I'm in the minority on what I believe in Gethsemane. I'm in the minority that I believe that Jesus died on a Wednesday and not on a Friday. Uh, You know, Different other issues that I have that, that are out there. I feel very strongly and I can defend what I believe and I can tell you the reasons why I believe them. And I've convinced many people over the years that they need to at least look at it. Other people go, you're, you're nuts. You know, every, all these other, all these other you know, big names disagree with you. And I'm going, that's fine. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it is an important thing that we learn to just trust God. You want to keep up appearances, you're saying? Look well, if you're doing it to keep up appearances, you're doing it for the wrong that's reason. reason. A lot of people do, but it's the wrong reason. said it over and over again. God is going to change us, and we are going to become more like him and do the right things more often because he is changing us. Not because I am trying to change, not because I am striving to put up good appearance and, hey, everybody, look at me. Look how good of a Christian I am because I'm doing all these good things. It's God is just changing you. And that gives you a humility that is unbelievable because it's like, wow, God, you've done all this for me. You're the one changing me. David's gonna get a big change in his heart. Yeah. Right now, in our sh- chapter we're in today, I really think that David is kind of bitter. You know, he has been following God. God has anointed him. It's been 15, 20 years. And he's been chased all over, all over by Saul and he's drifting away from God. But we haven't seen evidence of him praying. We haven't seen evidence of him following after God. And there's a bitterness developing in his heart. You know, well, this is never gonna happen. Maybe, maybe Samuel lied to me. It's not gonna happen. You know, my best friend Jonathan is still alive and his father's gonna die and he's going to get the throne. And this was all a lie. I've, my, all my hopes has been on the wrong, wrong place. We can get there very easy as a Christian. You know, something bad goes comes our way, and we slip away from it, and going, oh God, I just, you said you were going to take care of me, and look what look what just happened in my life. David is in a hard place here, and I don't judge David either for what he's doing. Okay, I don't I don't judge David because who knows what I would have done after twenty years of running around, hiding, you know, never seeing you know never seeing the the promise, you know, going okay, you know, gotta. Uh, you gave me this promise when I was a teenager, and now I'm 40 years old. And I've, in the cave. And I've been living in the caves, yeah, and you know, when, when, yeah. when am I going to get this promise? Yeah. This is where you come. Sometimes God says, I've got something I need to work out of you. Yeah. you know, I look at it now and say, God, you did all these things you had me doing, put me in a perfect place to be the pastor here. Okay. Because if I hadn't learned all those other things, yeah. I wouldn't have been ready for this. And, you know, we look at this, and if we're not yeah. careful, if we're not careful, we get depressed from it all. Yeah. Well, God, uh, didn't happen in the time I wanted it to happen. And God says, no, but it happened in my time, and you're now the right person for where you're at. We need to get this. David is being prepared to be the right person when he finally gets to take the kingdom because... As we see in the next book, it was not easy to become king of Israel. (laughs) It didn't just Saul dying and he became king. There's a whole process that goes involved in that. And his life doesn't all of a sudden change overnight. And how many times do we get in so much trouble because we want to do it our way. And we run ahead of God. And we try to do things our way. Abraham and Sarah, uh, Joseph. Uh, you, you go down the list of all the different people in the Bible. Most of them got into trouble so often because they did it their way. Yeah. Uh, reading the full full book of uh, on George Mueller, and he tried to do things his way too. Yeah. he He went out to preach on his first time, and he memorized another preacher's message to give to the people and found out that it didn't didn't work. He had really nothing to give them. So often we do things our way and then wonder why they don't work. So important that we just trust God. Lord we just thank you for this evening. We thank you Lord that you love us and you give us grace. We thank you also that you give us the life of David and you show us all of his problems as well as your grace toward him to give us the encouragement that we can be forgiven and live in that same grace. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.